0: You are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane
1: Cheek. Well, hi, everybody. This is Melissa. And this is Dane. Life on the ranch. Boy, it's exciting. I've been in my office working away this morning on a new program that we have. And what did you get to do this morning to help the ranch?
0: Uh, I got to work (laughs) with the guy emptying out our septic system. (laughs) I'm always dealing with poop.
1: (laughs) Somehow or the other, you are. So we have one on our house and one for what we call student center in the barns. And so it was time. So that was great. Thank you for doing that, babe. We have focused on a few podcasts lately on our son, Cody, who's the professional cyclist and his wife, Kathy. And we've also talked about Kevin, who lives in Houston and is married to beautiful Paula and kind of a lot about their different lives. And of course, we've mentioned Molly, and I don't want to go into too sad of a podcast, but I thought today that we might discuss our third and wonderful son, Corey. Yeah, extraordinary. Absolutely. We love him. Absolutely. So, to set this up about Corey, I'm going to back up and say a little bit about Molly. So, after Molly had her first organ transplant of her intestine, she could eat food, she felt better. It was not even a year before they realized her kidneys were damaged from all the meds she had needed through her life and all the experiences she had had medically through her life. So I became her kidney donor and we went back to University of Nebraska where she had had her first transplant and I gave her my kidney. And that's a whole nother podcast probably around that. But the following year, she was eager to to get out near her best friend in Los Angeles, go to college out there, be a college kid. Part of me was really excited that she had the health to do that. And part of me, you might remember, was depressed. Yeah. I just couldn't Hell, believe this yeah. kid I had watched over so carefully and so many hospitalizations and even gave her a body part was going to move that far away. And then <laughs> so... we, we no longer had reins on her, so to speak. Yeah. Or to just be sure that she was getting the doctor care that she needed. It it was complicated. It wasn't like just empty nest. It was really complicated because she had been one of three in the world with her disease. So for doctors to understand about her and her body was not easy. And I had been her sort of living medical chart for all those years. So anyway, Molly had had a history out here in Colorado, and it continued in California, of dating boys, because she was very cute, bright blue eyes, very pretty, very petite. She was a little five foot two, about 102 pounds. She was just adorable. And she had dated different boys. And she'd say to me, mom, at some point, I need to tell this guy that I go in and out of the hospital a lot and then I've had medical issues and then I might even have things on my body beyond scars. She had some apparatus on her body. So she would ask me, should I tell them early? In the relationship or later in the relationship and I really didn't have any great guidance for her that was new territory for both of us so she would try on the third or fourth date when things were getting a little bit more serious and what would happen is they'd look her right in the eye. And of course they were young guys. She's 18, 19. They were two. And she, they'd look her right in the eye and, oh, that doesn't matter. And you're beautiful. And I really like you. And I want to continue to date you. And then would not call her, not text her, not respond to her calls, just completely what they call today, ghost her. And it broke her heart many, many times. She tried on the first date saying, look, (laughs) before we even get close, let me just tell you about myself because I'm not the same as a lot of girls and I have some high medical needs and all of this. And, you know, she was trying to figure out like what was the right time to tell him. So they, they, she had had her heart broken many, many, many times. One time though, it's a funny story the kid that picked her up and he wasn't ready for a date. Right, Remember him? Right. <laughs> so I had taken her out to L.A. and got an education in how expensive it is to live in L.A. Her dad who lived in Phoenix, and myself were going to share the cost of her apartment for her while she was in college. So I looked and looked and looked, and she was willing to live in some really bad areas, bad, because it was her first apartment. She was excited. And I was like, no way am I putting my precious little girl that could be stuffed in a trunk in some of these nasty places in LA. So we finally upgraded her budget substantially and got her a cute apartment in a second floor apartment in a really small house with rent control near the Santa Monica College in Santa Monica. And she was thrilled. Went to Ikea, decked it out. I mean, it was really cute. Looking for a roommate for her and all that. So her best friend Lauren came. She was living in Hollywood and she came down to see Molly in Santa Monica. And she told me this story. So Lauren said she was sitting on the sofa and Molly was excited because this boyfriend from college now she's in college asked her out to dinner and it was her first real Los Angeles date right, you know so right. she was so excited so she came home she washed her hair she put on a cute sundress she you know did all the fun things girls do to get really pretty for a date and had her little makeup on her perfect shoes she loves shoes her perfect shoes and all that and her apartment had a solid door that had a screen door so the boy who had asked her out comes up the steps And he knocks on the door. She opens the door. And the first thing she said to him is, oh, are we not going? And he goes, no, I'm here to pick you up. But she noticed he was in the same shirt hanging out, kind of grubby jeans, dirty tennis shoes that he wore to college class. And so she looked at him funny and she said, is that what you're wearing? And he said, yeah, that's what I'm wearing. She goes, hmm, let me see your hands. And he stuck his hands out and she looked at his fingernails and all of that. And she opened the screen door and she looked at his shoes and then sort of looking Audrey Hepburn-ish, I think, she put one leg behind her and leaned out hanging on the door to look at his car. And she said, did you wash your car for this date? And he looked at her real funny and he said, no, no. She goes, are those the shoes you're wearing on our date? And he said, yes. She closed the screen door, locked it. She stood there looking so adorable and she put her hands above her head and kind of floated them down next to her body. And she said, Brian, this does not go out With that. But thanks for (laughs) thanks for asking. She closed the door and she and Lauren went out to dinner themselves as two girls. I loved it. I thought she's got standards and I loved it. You
0: raised her with uh, (laughs) a high high self esteem. You bet. You
1: bet. She might have had some medical issues, but she believed in herself a hundred percent. So a little while later, you might remember, Dane, how do you remember how she met Corey and Kind well, of how that I, went. I
0: think it was in a uh, one of the college classes as well at Santa Monica College. It
1: was. Yeah, I. Th- think, although they'll kill me listening to this, Molly can hear me all the time and Corey won't be happy, but I think it was in like a math class they had to take in order to get into real math. Neither of them were math geniuses. So they were in that class laughing, getting to know each other and dealing with this math class. And I flew out to LA to see her, to just check on her and see how she was and spend a weekend with her. And I took her to Bubba Gump's on the Santa Monica Pier, thinking that would be a fun place and it was a really fun place to go. So we're walking on the pier and we go to Bubba Gump's and we sit down for dinner. And I said, so tell me about your dating life. Have you met anybody? She said, no. She goes, I'm giving up on guys. They're just not mature enough. As soon as I tell them I have an issue, they're out of there. I'm just tired of being crushed. And I said, anybody cute at college? And she goes, oh yeah, there's this guy in my math class who's really cute. And he seems to look at me a lot and he smiles and think he wants to ask me out. But you know, I basically make statements like I'm not dating right now. And so I'm kind of not giving him much hope. So I said, well, do you like him? She goes, yeah, I think he's really neat. I like like him a lot. He's very cute, and I'm really attracted, but it'll be the same story, Mom. I'll meet him, and I've tried on first date, and I've tried on fifth date. I've tried everything to explain my health to them, and they run like a rabbit. So I think with this guy, it would break my heart. So I said, hmm, sounds like you really do like him. She goes, yeah. So tell you what, if he's all that, you call him, and you tell him you're at Bubba Gump's, and your mom's buying dinner, and would he join us? And she says, oh, no, I can't do that. I said, do it. So she calls him and she tells him, hey, my mom's buying dinner at Bubba Gump. She'd love to meet you. This is out of the blue for this kid. And he was there like a shot in his parents' Lexus. And he pulls in and he's all happy to be there. But
0: then again, you know, a young kid's not going to pass up a free dinner.
1: Well, true. Free free dinner with a cute girl, too. So, yeah. But it was a little strange to meet your guy who you like with your mom. You know, like at that. They knew each other, but all of that. So he sat on the same side of the booth as she did. They were so cute. I I would give anything to have a video of how enamored he was with her, how shy she was, and how thrilled she was that he was sitting there with her. So we have dinner, and she had asked me to share with him, to ask him questions about himself, and to share a little bit about her with him. She just thought, well, maybe... If you tell the guy, you know, a little bit about me. So we were there for a few hours, just getting to know each other. But the funniest part was I'd ask him a question about himself. Like, did you grow up here in LA? And he would be looking at me when I asked him the question and then turn sideways and look at her adoringly to give the answer. It was... So cute. It was like he knew I was facilitating, introducing they're, himself
0: they're, to they're her. dating, yeah. It was yeah. so
1: precious and so sweet. So that was actually their first date, and I was there. And it was exciting uh, to do it. But of course, they went on, as you know, they went on from there dating a lot. And really, he understood from the, the get-go. When I say he understood, I don't think he understood at all Initially. really what her disease was. Because right. it's hard. You know, it's a really... Mind bending when you're one of three in the world. So he didn't understand, but he understood it was complicated. He understood it was serious. I was able to say to him, Look, there are times, and I'm terrified being in Colorado and her being here. There are times when she needs to get to an emergency room like now, and you could be on a date you could be at the beach it could be the middle of the night but she's got to go then it's nothing to mess with and he understood and her roommate understood her roommate took her a few times to the ER but he was amazing and I remember I think it was Valentine's and, and Corey if you're listening to this podcast and I get any of my references inaccurate I apologize it's my memory of all this and I'm sure I don't have it all right but I do think it was Valentine's and they were getting ready she was dressed up he was ready and going someplace really nice for dinner and And she spiked a fever and had to go. And I think that was the first time he went through the whole experience of emergency room and her care. And he went to the back, you know, with her not to leave her alone. and just stood by her side. Yeah, just stood by her side and really got a glimpse as to how serious the whole thing was and and talked to me. So they go on for a few years. They went to Paris, remember? Didn't she have a medical issue at one time? And Corey lived with us
0: quite a while.
1: Yeah, that was a little bit later, but yes, because the worst one out there ended up really over time ending her life. And that was when she got, she had my kidney and she got a kidney, UTI rather. And you remember we had to fly there emergency flight and all of that. And it went to her brain. She was in for a long time. I don't remember how long, but it seems like she was in like maybe four weeks in the UCLA transplant center. But back to Paris. Oh, she had to go to the hospital in Paris, too. Yeah. You're right. They took a vacation to Paris. (laughs) You're right. Her and Corey. Yep. We went to the Nebraska Medical Center. The cutest picture I have of her, or the one that I think is the cutest of her, she is in love with Corey. She is happy. She is healthy. She feels great. And she's sitting on the doctor's table at the Nebraska Medical Center because she had asked me if she could go to Paris. And I said, if you'll meet me at Nebraska Medical Center, First, And the doctors all say, "All oh, your numbers look good. You look good. Your blood looks good. Everything looks good. I'm going to say yes to Paris. So she and Corey both, and that was his first time seeing the enormity of the Nebraska Medical Center. And so they went, and oh my gosh, she was healthy enough to go, and they fly off to Paris. It was exciting. It was really an right, exciting time. Right. But I think she went in the ER in Paris, in too. In Paris, yeah. yeah. I took her to New York City once. She went in there. She'd been in a lot of different ERs around the country and around the world. So it's kind of part of it. And that time that we flew there gosh, I just remember flying there with Corey's voice in my head. I think this is the sickest I've seen her. And he was scared. And we flew there as fast as we could. We got into UCLA Medical Center in the middle of the night. And he met us there. And we went in to see her. And she was in intensive care. And it had gone to her brain. And that was terrifying for me to think that this bright, beautiful, clever, funny girl, you know, would this damage her brain. It didn't, but it seemed like it. I remember I asked her if she knew how tall she was, and she said she was six foot one. Remember right. that? And I went, oh yeah, the, the the brain's not doing well. We asked her where she was, and at the time she was working for the VCA, the vet hospital, same vet hospital that Betty White took her dogs to there in, in LA. But anyway, and she said, I, I'm at the hospital, I'm at VCA. And I said, no, you're not at VCA, you're at the UCLA Medical Center. Sadly, they made A deep mistake a very serious mistake she needed a blood transfusion she was finally feeling really good and we were gonna play a board game and she was getting this blood transfusion and somehow a miscommunication with the nurses they weren't careful enough I guess and just a tragedy they uh, infused her with blood that was not compatible with her two organ transplants and it started her over the next three years into a slow decline to her death I had to go to LA to get her to kidnap her basically with her best friend Lauren because she was not doing well she was in denial she didn't want to believe that she was in as much trouble as I knew she was because I was watching all her medical numbers and watching how often she needed to go get IV infusions and I knew we're we're sinking the shit I didn't know why but let's take a step back you Mm -hmm. know yeah her and Corey were just madly in love oh yeah oh yeah for sure yeah cute, cute, cute. I have got lots of photos of him. He drove, he drives like an adult today, but he drove like a young guy, like a crazy person. She loved it. One time I remember he got dressed up to go do something with us. And I said, wow, Corey, you look great. Cause the style for kids, Kevin and everybody at that time was sort of more uh, hard for adults to take. I'll say it that way. I said, gosh, Molly, I'll get him some clothes. Look what a foxy is all dressed up. She goes, mom, I don't want him to be all dressed up I like that I don't he think he looks very good in his clothes <laughs> Just- <laughs> I don't want other girls going after him. I'm like, okay, well, that's mean. That's mean, but okay. He he was
0: quite the catch. (laughs) He was. He's a handsome
1: handsome dude, for sure. Still is, but very handsome dude. Very much so. So, you know, then she comes back to Colorado, and the truth of it was that Corey figured out, there goes the love of my life, and she's going to be in Colorado till who knows when. This wasn't a trip home. This was dialysis. This was serious. This was really a decline for her so i remember being so moved by an emotional that Corey dropped out of college much to his stepdad's dismay and moved in with us and took her to dialysis and was by her side the whole way it was remarkable
0: thicker thick thin. remarkable yeah.
1: yeah i mean i know people who are married that don't have that kind of commitment to each other that he showed to her and she showed to him it was i mean it was phenomenal really really phenomenal and from that dialysis time of course we were in and out of the local hospitals which were really not geared to take care of her. And I wanted to get her to Nebraska because I knew that her organs were failing and she really needed bigger help than what Denver could give her. Not so much Denver, but we were in Boulder at the time. And we were in Boulder at one point. She was on flight for life uh, with me on the plane, taking her in there to the ICU at Nebraska. I mean, this was a medically fragile girl now. So at this she point. went back to Nebraska
0: just because of her prior transplants yeah that's where
1: as you know you were there for both her transplants so you were by my side the whole way and by her side the whole way and the whole thing and it meant the world to her to have you there and to know that you know her dad worked a lot and he didn't come to the hospital a lot and to have you there was so so important for her and she would just light up you know when you and Corey too and it was important for Corey that you were there that I was there, so we kind of settled into life at Nebraska Medical Center, having no idea what was coming next, and the doctors told us then just how far gone her organs were, and that it came from this transfusion, and that she would lose her kidney that I had given her, and we went and searched for another kidney, And I'll say this, some, I'll be nice. Some people who were related to her refused to get tested, but I had already given her a kidney. I would have given her my second one and given her my life if they had let me, but they wouldn't. So we asked a lot of people and a lot of friends stepped up, everybody got tested. And one of my graduates, Angie Payne in Canada, her husband, Craig, was a match and was willing and was eager, and he actually flew down from Canada to Nebraska to see her. He sat in her room and talked with her, and did all the tests he needed to do at the hospital. And we were pretty excited; she was going to get that kidney transplant. And uh, I'll never forget the phone call she made to me. She just loved Craig, and Craig loved her. And she said, "Mom, have you ever met him in person?" And I said, "No, I can't wait to meet him in person. I've spoken to him on the phone. I know his wife." Angie so well but I haven't met him in person she goes mom he's fully inked and he's gorgeous which <laughs> <laughs> was so cute He had all these tattoos still does and he has one now of her name over his heart so he's a remarkable man and and we love you Craig you are an important person in our life sadly the bureaucracy was such that we couldn't get that kidney transplant right then. I wonder sometimes if she'd be alive today, if we could have gotten that pulled off, but we couldn't. The paperwork and the insurance and the hospital regulations and UNOS, which is the uh, Donate Life, how it works in the country to get it done. So Craig flew back to Canada ready, willing and able to come in. And sadly, in that time, her body rejected the intestinal space. And so now she's losing the intestinal transplant and the kidney. And they informed us she would also need two other organs on top of that so she became a candidate at that point for a four organ transplant you remember me saying she was five foot 202 pounds as listeners so she was too old she was 22 and a half she was too old to be in the juvenile list because that's where most people that physical size would be so she needed something rare she needed somebody who died not of a disease that could be damaging their organs. They needed four healthy organs from one person. Car wrecks don't usually do that because the organs are damaged. So it was a needle in a haystack. And we knew that and we prayed and we hoped for the best. And we trusted that God's plan would prevail, whatever that plan would be. And we watched the reality of all of it sink onto Corey's young shoulders that, wait a minute, you mean she might die? I mean, that was not something he ever believed was a possibility. So we settled in for 285 days at the Nebraska Medical Center on the transplant list for a four organ transplant. So which, that's a yeah, long yeah, time. That's a long time. <laughs>
0: which in turn, Corey stayed with her.
1: Oh my gosh, he was amazing. A lot of the time. He was amazing. Yes. He will forever be my son for this exact story, part of the story. Obviously I was under contract to about 70 people in my teaching program and my horse's food depended on it. My house, everything in my life depended on our life, depended on me keeping the business afloat. You're working, but you know, we had an overhead employees and all of that. So the reality was I needed to return to Denver and I'd be gone back to Denver five days to teach and back next to her for five and back to Denver. I went back and forth For the 285 days. And Corey, while he went back to LA a couple of times, for the most part, that darling young man stayed by her side the entire way and hated leaving her. He did so many nice things for her. He got that band member of that crazy band I can't think of the name of it they loved it she loved it and I think the guy was a drummer or a singer and she Corey set it up for him to call her some famous band that that age group would know who it is sorry Corey can't remember but she picked up the phone and that guy was on the phone and she was so excited that so-and-so called me Didn't from this like band Machine
0: and Gun Kelly, or something? I think that's what it was something it like was?
1: that I don't know I'm not a rock and roll person but it was somebody famous and they called her and we got her on a she never wanted to be on Make-A-Wish she she had a thing about that. She felt that that really labeled her terminal, although God bless her heart, she was terminal from the day she was born. But we're working on getting Johnny Depp to see her because she was a huge Johnny Depp fan, just in love with him. And after she passed, his crew sent a donation to the nonprofit we started. So there were a lot of people pulling for her and a lot of people pulling for her side. And I remember the TV camera crews coming in to give publicity that we were looking for these organs and it would help everybody looking for organs at the transplant center. So it was incredible, and we'd come into town and take Corey out to dinner or try to help him in any way that we could and listen to him and give him a break, although he didn't really want a break. He didn't want to leave her side. And so they lived, I'm going to say, pretty darn happy for 285 days. In the in hospital. Hospital, yeah. They just made the best of it, watching TV. And, and, and didn't she
0: have her dog with playing her the whole games. time as well? Well,
1: then, Tegan... Her little Corgi became her medical aid dog and literally he couldn't stay in the hospital unless somebody was there to take him out because the nurses certainly don't have time to take a dog out to go to the bathroom and all that. So Tegan would usually go back home with me and back and forth with me to see her and it was pretty amazing. Her heart was what they call tachycardic, which means it was very, very rapid sometimes and that little dog would jump up in her bed and her whole heart rate would come down and her blood pressure. Pressure would ease up, and he could be in the room unless she was on dialysis. And um, she loved that dog. Not as much as she loved Corey, but she loved that dog. Well, and it she was really loved fantastic. Animals. Yeah, anyway, totally, yeah, totally. Totally. Remember, remember when they had that? Her <laughs> and Corey had.
0: A great Dane and Tegan in the same house. I don't think that <laughs> Corey would
1: I don't think that Corey would claim ownership to the Great Dane. But yeah, you always you know, I'm noticing a pattern with you in these podcasts. You always think of the stories <laughs> yeah. that, that I'm like, really, we're gonna tell that story. So yeah, when she first moved out to LA and she was living in Santa Monica and she and Corey are dating and things are going pretty well. She had her horse out there. I moved her horse Bali out there so she could continue riding and she had her little corgi and she had her cat, which I, I uh, she had her cat who's highly destructive. Yeah, and a cat. Yeah. yeah, and a cat. So here's this animal girl in this LA apartment, right? In the Santa Monica apartment. So she goes and, and it should have been a law that she shouldn't have been allowed to go to the Humane Society, but she did. She went to the Humane Society. I don't remember why, I think with a friend or something. And she called me in a panic and she said, mom, mom, and what? I have to adopt this dog. I'm at the Humane Society. And I said, oh, get out of there. You're not allowed to be there. She said, I have to. They're they're going to euthanize this dog in a couple days if nobody takes her. And she's so sweet. Now, Molly had been a Corgi fan and had had several Corgis over the years. Dummy me, I didn't ask. I just assumed it was a Corgi. And she's pushing on me. Can I get this dog? Please let me get this dog. I said, you know what? Here's the deal. You're old enough now to make this decision for yourself, but I want you to think about the fact you don't own your apartment you lease it so your your landlord now has to deal with two dogs and a cat in that apartment so if there's an added pet deposit if there's damage the dog does or the dog needs to go to the vet or anything like that you're picking up the bills on this second dog I'm happy to help you with your first dog but I'm not going to help you with the second
0: but I think her and Corey were living together at that time I don't
1: know if, because if they I know, were quiet yeah, he,
0: he might have had I know he wasn't in it, yeah. on
1: this he wasn't in on yeah. this at all it It was a surprise to him too. And if that's not true, Corey, let me keep my illusion about that because I don't think he said yes to this at all. Next thing I know, I get a photo of her in her PT cruiser and across the entire back seat is a black and white Great Dane. I could not believe it. I, I, and she wouldn't answer the phone when I called her. She, I'm sure, thought I better let my mom cool down a little bit. So all of a sudden, she has a Great Dane, a Corgi. Do you think those dogs got along? Oh no, they're not going to get along. And And a cat, which was a destructive cat, on top of that. So yeah, it was lovely, and uh, she had that dog a couple years. The dog had been highly abused, was afraid of everybody, didn't bond to anybody except Molly. And the dogs didn't get along, right? Yeah. (laughs) It was a train wreck. That's not a happy memory for Corey or for me. I mean, it just was a a disastrous decision made by her little heart. But yeah, every time she was in the hospital, somebody would have to take care of the dog and walk the dog. And I I do remember the dog weighed 108 pounds and she weighed 108 pounds. And the only good thing was walking that giant dog, this little girl. The only good thing was that we used that to get her to gain weight because she had a hard time gaining weight. So every week... She'd have to weigh the dog and weigh herself. And if she was less weight than the dog was, she had to gain. And so they played this little back and forth game to see if they could get her to weigh the same as this giant, enormous, dreadful Great Dane. I'm a fan of Great Dane dogs, but this one had been so abused, she was really pretty psycho. So yeah, thanks for the memory, dear. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. So I was never led to believe by the doctors that she would survive getting four organs. I mean, they if she had gotten it quickly enough, I really think she would have because she was an incredible fighter who really wanted to stay here, who was deeply in love with Corey, who loved her family, who loved her animals. She wanted to stay. There was no part of that child that was ready to go on the other side of the veil, not, not, a, not, a, not a little finger of her at all. But sadly, the organs didn't come. We had to go and face her. The darkest day of my life was telling her that they were going to remove her from dialysis, and nothing more could be done. And she had gotten so thin and so pale. And, you know, and you can't, You can't eat food for 285 days. You can't do your basic bodily functions. I mean, she just failed. She just went downhill until her body failed her. And when we told her that we were taking her off the dialysis, Corey had come back from L.A., he had made a quick trip home to LA. Actually, I was home in Denver. It's the only time we ever left her alone. He was gone and I was gone. One time we leave her alone and her soul decides that's her exit date. So we came back and he had an engagement ring for her and beautiful ring. And he had given her the ring. She was excited. So when we knew that we were taking her off the dialysis, it meant she would have anywhere from 48 hours to, to as long as two weeks to live, maximum. So the hospital got together and threw her a wedding. Her dad came in from Phoenix. Some of his friends came in from Phoenix. People all over the hospital who had gotten to know yeah, her. It, it was great. Nurses was great. and staff. It was surreal. It was absolutely surreal. She was... Um, very yellow. Her eyes and her skin was all puffy because you come off of dialysis and your liver takes a hit and everything takes a hit. So she went up the aisle in her beautiful wedding dress, the hospital got her and her best friend Lauren was there. And it was a very surreal... Beautiful wedding and also the most painful yeah. day of all our lives, I think, because I remember going knew. out. And
0: uh, Corey and I went out, bought him a couple suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: yeah. 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 So he'd have his nice suit to get married in, and they took a lot of photos, and everybody was, you know, pulling for them. And then sadly, their wedding night was back in that hospital room, laying in the hospital bed together. And they have some beautiful private memories of that night. And then after that, Corey and I took turns pretty much spending four to six hours laying in bed holding her. Corey went through every memory I think he could whisper in her ear as she was semi-conscious. And when I laid with her, I had thought I wanted her to go knowing that she was loved and knowing that she was safe that she would be in God's arms and that she was safe. So I whispered to her, you are loved and you are safe, probably 50,000 times. And so all I said yeah. to her was how loved she was by everyone and how safe she was in this travels to the other side of the veil that she was making. So she passed at 1 11 in the morning. Um, we're facing that date pretty soon. It's June 3rd and uh, into the early hours of June 4th. And we have More to the story, but I'm not going to go into it. It was an incredible night that night. Some sort of magical things kind of happened. Ways for her to convince us that she was well on the other side, you know. And yeah, some just amazing things. Maybe I'll go into that someday on the podcast, but kind of mind-blowing things. And then we all packed up uh, this room. They had been in for almost a year and drove back to Denver. And Corey lived with us for three months And he and I cried and grieved and shared and cried and grieved and shared with friends who came with his, his mom came to see him with, you know, everybody coming to support us for her memorial and in every way that they could, you know, to support us emotionally. And I went to Corey and said, I think one of the things Molly really cared the most about was that you could be with her as much as you were with her and that Dane and I could be with her as much as we were with her and that we could afford to have the apartment in the hospital and pay the bills and do the travel and pay the gas and all that. And she had a sensitivity knowing that there were other people laying in that hospital waiting for organs whose families weren't able to afford the plane ticket or the gas or the time off work or the hotel room to come and see them. Today, as we're making this podcast, just to raise our listeners' awareness, there's people all over this country in transplant centers and their relatives can't drop everything and be with them. So it's hard. So we started a nonprofit and Corey stepped up immediately to raise money for the nonprofit to support Donate Life, to encourage people to become organ donors on their driver's license because thousands of people every year die because no one has put that on their driver's license for one. People can donate one kidney and that makes a huge difference and it doesn't change your, the donor's life that much once it's all done. So there's lots of ways you can get involved with Donate Life to help people who need transplants because there's a lot of people that need them. And then Corey's beautiful friend, Bob, remember what he did?
0: Oh yeah, he he wrapped <laughs> his car with a logo or...
1: Pictures of Molly and the logo. And then they were on this
0: journey called Molly's Oregon Trail. Right,
1: Molly's Oregon Trail. Yeah. And they set out across the country. And uh, I mean, honestly, we should have Corey come on as a guest someday on the podcast and talk to us about that because they had an amazing adventure with his heart shattered into a million pieces going all over the United States. States, any place that would let them speak or get donations to raise money for Donate Life and and for our nonprofit, for Molly's dream of being able to give money to families that needed it, who were needing. And we did. We gave plane tickets. We paid one family's electric bill that had fallen behind uh, for six months. so we paid their whole electric bill up for them and different things like that. The nonprofit eventually closed because of HIPAA, because of the laws in the United States of HIPAA. Uh, the hospital had no way to let us know who needed the support that we had, so I worked with the head of the hospital. I worked with many, many people, with all the strength that I could muster during my grief to see if there was some way to make it work, and and there just wasn't. And I'm sad to say that, but there just wasn't any way to locate and find the families that needed it. Social media was in its early stages nine years ago too, so it just didn't work. But bless Corey, man, he went everywhere raising money for that, and I I think he would say to us that that. Really helped him heal to go with his dear, dear friend, Bob, who's a pharmacist today to go with Bob around the country. And it's hard to sit still when you're grieving. Grief is a a fluid river. And it's just very hard to not have something to kind of take you there, you know, to kind of bring you to another place. So if you, our listeners, have had a transplant or you're waiting for a transplant, please know we understand and we send you love and light and strength and miracles are done every day in the hospitals around the country. We will forever, ever be grateful to the Nebraska Medical Center. Uh, After doing all of my homework and deep research, they were the number one transplant center in the United States. You might be thinking, why in Nebraska? On the backs of their shirts, they say extraordinary care, and it is extraordinary care. And it was the center of the country. And back in the original transplant era, they needed to be located somewhere where organs could get to them quickly. So it didn't work to have them, you know, in New York or, or Seattle, it needed to be in the center of the country so that's kind of part of its history but their success rate is phenomenal if any place could have done it for that would have been it and i'm happy to say that he found a new love jackie yeah and so Corey yeah. is married today living in california got out of la but living in california and he married went back to jackie to college went back to college his- Degree. Got finished his degree. He is a a, incredibly handsome, strong, wonderful young man. I remember him crying in my arms saying, I will never find anybody else. I'm going to be alone my whole life. That felt like the reality to him. And I said to him, all you have to do is let them see how you are the real deal for better, for worse. And you're going to have women lined up on the sidewalk because I, I don't think I've ever met another young man who was as devotingly loving, supportive, caring, and in every way, her Prince Charming. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's a love story like no other. If if Nicholas Sparks ever hears this podcast, it would make a hell of a book. Yeah, so. he
0: is definitely our son.
1: Yeah, definitely. We love you, Corey, if you listen to this podcast. Couldn't love you any more than if you were one of our blood sons. You are a son to us and always will be. And we will always miss her as we go close to to the anniversary of her crossing over to the other side. And she reaches out in different ways to us to let us know that she's there. And we're happy that Corey has Jackie today. And we know that Jackie has a phenomenal ability to not feel competitive with Corey's love for Molly, but instead to stand in her own shoes and have his love that she so deserves right, as well. Right. So. Well, we want to thank Hope Through Horses for sponsoring this, hopefully not too sad podcast. We wanted to share It because it's uh, an important part of our life, and we had shared about Kevin and And yeah, we had had shared about Kevin and and Cody and Molly, and and this was a huge chapter, not an easy one for me to share or for you to share, but certainly a huge part of our life. And we hope listening to this that you'll stop and take the time to go to donatelife.com and become an organ donor because there are so many people that need organ donations across our country. Thank you for joining us, thank you for doing this with me, baby. Baby, I oh, see the, you're welcome. the tears in your eyes reflecting the tears in mine. Yeah, I yeah, love yeah. you. I love you for standing by her so strong. And uh, one thing that happened the, the last few days, last four or five days of her life, A dear friend of hers was there and gave her a pedicure and a manicure, little tiny nails on her toes and little tiny nails on her things. And she had picked this sort of bright blue color. And you asked her at one point, whispered in her ear, what can I do for you? You know, just trying to think of anything that we could do for her. And she said, paint your toes. So my sweet husband, this man I'm so in love with, her girlfriend painted his toes this bright blue nail polish and he wore that nail polish until it chipped off of his toes, like for weeks and weeks after I, she died. I wore it to play rugby.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> and exactly. I was wearing
0: flip-flops, and people were like, dude, what's what? up with the toes? Yeah,
1: and you told them with pride, you know, I did this for my daughter. And, yeah. And that's what she asked me for. And that's what I did. So yeah, yeah. it was great. It was great. And so many more stories. We've, we've had quite a life together in our family. And thank you for listening today. And we know that we usually make you laugh, but we hope today we made you feel. Talk yeah. to you soon. Talk thank you, you soon. everybody. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303 440-7125. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.